0: exception of the medical boards, all the authorities in Brazil, they never wondered whether we saved lives or not.
1: They just wanted to charge me as guilty. Dr. Flavio Cattagiani is one of Brazil's leading scientists, specializing in endocrinology and sports medicine. He has published 25 peer-reviewed papers on COVID-19, including a landmark study showing a dramatic reduction in deaths and hospitalization in patients given proxalutamide, an affordable, off-label treatment.
0: All the real good molecules that are out there, none of them belong to the, any of these pharma that try to push the vaccines
1: and expensive drugs as treatments. After the former president of Brazil began citing his research, Dr. Cadgiani became public enemy number one, demonized as anti-science, he spent months under investigation, and was ultimately vindicated by the Brazilian medical boards, which acquitted him unanimously of any wrongdoing in his clinical trials.
0: I just can tell you that I used to be a very down-to-earth person, a very anti-conspiracy person, but some of the things that I really believed that did not exist, they
1: actually do. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelleck. Dr. Flavio Cadigiani, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders.
0: Oh, this is my pleasure. It's such an honor and privilege to have you you here.
1: Your license was actually under attack. You were considered to be a very, very effective endocrinologist, a very successful one. Some people have even called you Brazil's greatest living scientist. Yeah, they're just being kind with me. To the point, you we were recently vindicated and I want you to tell me your story like what what happened why did you need to be vindicated
0: okay so it all starts back in 2021 when we first uh, announced our results through a presentation just like all the companies did and by that time Brazil was facing three to four thousand deaths per day
1: this is all because of COVID, of course.
0: Yeah, it's all because of COVID. Nothing before COVID. And after we announced the results, uh, our former president, uh, Bolsonaro, started mentioning our research in, his, in the national news and national uh, for all over the country, congratulating the scientists. We've never received any uh, support from the government in terms of finance or logistics, we never need it, it's, so, but because he started mentioning us, we have automatically become the anti-science, because as he was uh, considered as the symbol of the anti-science in Brazil, science is being used as a slogan far from its original meaning. We became automatically anti-science, and now the molecule we were researching, which is called proxalutamide, which is a a molecule uh, developed in China, but there's nothing to do with the China politics and anything. And we were actually trying to look for any molecule with anti-androgen effect. Uh, They started to call the new hydroxychloroquine. So these, they started a very uh aggressive uh persecution against me so they denounced me in different uh medical boards medical boards in Brazil are like here in the US they're state by state and there is a central after that so they investigated me very thoroughly a scrutiny uh I think we have we are now the most analyzed trial in Covid so far. So after everything has been analyzed very thoroughly and they were extremely neutral which is something new because we were just being attacked 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 it's not that we were protected by anyone in the end they got to the conclusion in an unanimous manner which is means that nobody disagreed with these that there was absolutely nothing to charge us so i was uh acquitted unanimously in both states where I was accused, many of the doubts regarding our our trial were actually fabricated. It includes, for example, the suspicions that we poison patients to make uh, poison patients to kill them, so we make it a. Uh, false uh, effect, uh, efficacy of the drug, the equivalent of the FDA in Brazil, sent the placebo tablets for analysis in the federal police,
1: which show, came up showing that there was nothing of interest. I mean... Okay, let, so I, l- let me get a couple of things here. First of all, you're telling me that they accused you of poisoning the control, basically, the placebo.
0: Yeah. There is no other reason why they would send the placebo
1: tablets for analysis. So, So, because then you would have artificially inflated as I would have. So, I
0: I only learned this afterwards. I would have increased, artificially, the mortality rate in the placebo group. So, that would show a difference. But that shows a complete lack of knowledge on basic epidemiological data because the mortality rate in the placebo group Uh, during the study was even a bit lower than in the same regions during that period. So that makes no sense at all.
1: So when you talk about we, you're talking about uh, your research research group? group. Yes,
0: but I was the leader, I was the main principal investigator, so all the trials were under my name, so I am the main responsible. So in northern Brazil, in the Amazon, I had a, a group and in southern Brazil, had another group. So we had two uh, phases of the study. So the first one, in order to avoid someone saying that it was too good to be true, we extended, uh, as we were allowed to, okay, as per the, the rules provided during the pandemic. So we have all this documented, and we extended it to the southern Brazil and the findings from Brazil were extremely similar to those in northern Brazil. This study was double-blind, so neither the system doctors nor the patients knew who was taking placebo and who was taking the proxylutamide, the active drug, and more than 95 to 97 percent of the time doctors were right regarding their guesses whether the patients were taking one or another one. uh, because
1: it had some efficacy. Yes, basically. That, like, right.
0: uh, the, the change in the course of the disease was dramatic actually. Mm-hmm. So there's a city called Itacoatiar that by logistics received more active than possible. There was, in this hospital in the, in the, in the middle of the Amazon, an uh, average 13 to 15 people were dying per day, and after the study started, they, it changed to 13 to 20 people being discharged alive. So that was dramatic. I went there every five days, and the second time I was there, I couldn't believe with my eyes. So um, it is very hard to say that uh, this was not real, right? right?
1: So, so, how big was the study, or both phases of the study? Uh,
0: both, phase, both phases, there were almost 800 patients enrolled, yeah.
1: I'll also mention, right, you didn't go in this into this as an activist for this molecule, right? You were just doing an exploratory study? Exactly. Actually, yeah. I was an activist to save lives, regardless. Uh, we wanted to prove,
0: the, to demonstrate the theory, the androgen theory, which basically is that we first observed that men were disproportionately affected compared to women matched with the same age, same body mass index, same body weight, same comorbidities. So we noticed that there was something inherently related to sex. And then, short after, we discovered that men with alopecia, which are bald men, were more severely affected than non bald men. So, and it matched with a molecular discovery in March 2020 from different groups that SARS CoV 2 needs to be prepared by a protein called Tempers 2. And this protein, the only endo- endogenous regulators are androgens, which are hormones with testosterone action. But it doesn't mean that higher the testosterone, the worse it is. Otherwise, young men would be the most affected. It is more about the balance between. Uh, Dehydrotestosterone, which is DHT, and testosterone. By the way, finasteride or dutasteride also have some action for COVID, and their action is to block the conversion from testosterone into DHT, and it's used for it's used for baldness, right? So, and after this, we also found that women with polycystic ovarian syndrome (PCOS) were also more severely affected than women without PCOS our finding was back in 2020 in my clinic, which was further confirmed by the UK Biobank data and showing that hyperandrogenism, excessive androgen activity and sensitivity uh, were the most predictors in addition to age, age. This was amongst the most important predictors of COVID severity. We must understand that unlike other viruses, uh, COVID-19 had a very wide variety of severity. So we think the same variant, could be from asymptomatic to be a deathful uh, virus. So it depended more on the host than on the virus. Mm. So understanding this, we needed to focus on host factors rather, the, rather than on the virus.
1: Well, and it's just, it's fascinating. I think you're one of the first endocrinologists that I've had on the show talking about covid because you know the lens through which you look at this disease right is unique somewhat compared to many of the doctors exactly but if you
0: think about covid the other factor ace2 is a protein through which sars-cov-2 enters the cell and ace2 is regulated by a system called renin angiotensin aldosterone which is basically what causes hypertension and these are dysregulated in metabolic and inflammatory diseases, which may explain why obesity and diabetes are also important risk factors. So it calls my attention that endocrin- endocrinology should have paid more attention to this. Mm-hmm. And in August 2020, I published a review saying the potassium uh, drug classes in endocrine fields that could be helpful for COVID-19. Two and a half years later, a meta analysis was published showing that the chronic use, the exact same drug classes were protective so it means that what i predicted there back in august 2020 was very precisely uh pre- uh, uh shown further not that they were used for covid but chronic users so this we it's uh, covid made us Uh, made doctors think. We were supposed to think about the pathophysiology of the disease Mm -hmm. in order to understand how to treat it. What causes the disease is complex with multiple targets. So it is unlikely that one single molecule like ivermectin alone will be 100% effective. Mm -hmm. So of course, studies will never show 100% effectiveness. Uh, We should have conducted trials with combinations. It's it's funny because you do see like Paxlovid is a combination of two different antivirals, uh, there are other monoclonal antibodies that were combined. So why on repurposed drugs we did not combine different drugs, and there are several other f- uh, flaws in these trials on ivermectin I could mention here, but basically. It seems that we were prohibited to think about the disease. Where is the medical rationale? Why did we learn the basics into the clinic so we could in exact
1: moment where we needed it most? So what was it that you were thinking that made you be able to predict these uh, compounds would be effective ultimately, as was shown in this meta-analysis? Based on their mechanism of
0: action that was simple as that. So I just, based on what their, how they act, direct and indirectly, and based on our current knowledge at that moment, I said, okay, these anti-diabetic glasses, drug classes, these other drugs, uh, and these for other, like fatty liver disease, and then we go to different disorders. And estradiol, like replacement therapy, would be beneficial as well. So uh, according to their mechanism of action, that was very, I mean, that wasn't so hard to predict. That was not so hard to predict.
1: Why don't you tell me a little bit about who you are, how you became, you know, running this research team? Okay, so I am a doctor that
0: uh, I trained in, I had my residency in internal medicine. Afterwards, I had my training in endocrinology, and then I took my board certification in endocrinology. And then I started with something that which is not very common in the US, a double career. So I started my own private practice with a clinic and my research career, my, my MSc and then my PhD on clinical endocrinology. Both were successful, thankfully. And then I never wanted to stop both. Even after my PhD, I obtained my PhD degree. Naturally, I wanted to extend my research. And there is something that I always tell people, PhD is Doctor of Philosophy. So, we were supposed to be thinkers. I started a quite new area, which is sports endocrinology from a perspective from the endocrinologist, uh, which is completely different from the perspective of other areas. So, our uh, my research was pretty new. We published more than 12 papers from my PhD. I published a, a book afterwards that was an overtraining syndrome, but I also discovered a new phenomenon called hormonal conditioning. We have our cardiovascular conditioning to exercise, we have the musculoskeletal conditioning, and we discovered that our hormones also get conditioned. So, even to stimulus that are not related to exercise, those who are physically active tend to respond better. So, this may may explain why athletes that uh, that do not under eat, who are healthy, tend to uh, respond better to infections, to cancers, and, all, and several other diseases. Hmm. So, we filled some of the gaps. But that, my teacher, which is a great guy, he did not know anything, because nobody knew anything about the subject, but he was there to guide me and he did it amazingly. So uh, I've always been a thinker and a questioning person. Hmm. So when it came to COVID, it wouldn't be different. I don't think there is truth or beauty in the absolutism, which is doesn't mean that I will hyper or will be a hyper relative person. It means that uh the absolutism brings you a non-rational answer a more visceral answer in early 2020 we heard about the compassionate use of drugs which means where why we do not have therapeutic options let's use what we have in hand, what we have in terms of evidence so far and that was lost i think the the loss of compassionate use came together with the loss of compassion for the other which started happening in May to June 2020. And things like, things, expressions that kill me, like there's no evidence, goodness, no evidence. Everything is evidence. You could say there is insufficient evidence to put into practice in your thoughts. I published 25 uh, papers in COVID, peer reviewed, indexed in PubMed, only COVID-19. So one of the papers i published uh, we conducted an observational study which they tried to pretend there was a fraud which is not they were never able to prove it that came back in july 2020 uh, that we just followed patients and those who did not treat went so much worse than those who received any type of treatment could be ivermectin itazoxamide or hydroxychloroquine that it became ethically questionable to conduct trials with no active standard of care. And that is published. So we saw there is something called clinical equipoise. What is that? For example, uh, when you have a lung edema, like an acute lung edema, there is no such randomized clinical trials testing furosemide for this, because we know that it really saves lives. And you won't test it. This is. A clinical equip was that it's uh, it's so clear and there's so much strong plausibility that nobody will accuse a few people to test whether this works or not. So it would be basically the same, because none of these drugs were actually harmful in their correct dosage. So we demonstrated that it was unequivocally wrong to conduct trials with pure placebo, I mean, without any type of active support. Right. So. All of our trials, there were drugs, and we just add on peroxaluramide or dutasteride or spironolactone. So this was a learning back from 2020 that was pretending not to be seen, which really shocked me. But we may be able to revisit all these findings later when we calm down, because we really need uh, deep reforms in the system, since health system, into regulatory system, and a scientific system. Who controls science, the journals and the editors? And basically they shape science according to what they want to publish or not. I was just rejected for a paper on Ivermectin with no no weaknesses in the methodology, but based because they don't want controversy in Ivermectin. So we're not able to publish something not because it's not good but because they don't want to publish. So there won't be science on ivermectin if they do not allow us to publish.
1: And they shape science. They are true controllers. So, and who control them? So tell me a little bit about this paper. So you said you submitted a paper methodologically, they said this looks good, right? Yeah, they were not able to criticize. They would be
0: like very ready to criticize everything. So they were not able to find any flaw to give as an excuse so they just said, OK, we don't want to publish because it is too controversial. So it's not based on scientific standards anymore, which is I am an editor for BMC and disorders. And I've never seen that. But even in BMC series, which is part of Nature, uh, I tried to publish a paper, in another one. It's BMC infectious disease. They asked me not to do it because of these controversies. controversies. So uh, the most prestigious journal in the planet, New England Journal of Medicine, its, its editor-in-chief, Eric Rubin, Uh he rejected my paper on proxalutamides after reviewers have basically accepted it because they were not able to analyze the data. So they needed to analyze the data to check the veracity and they do not have the capacity to analyze
1: the data, which means they do not analyze the data they publish. Let me jump in here. So they, they said we don't have the capacity to analyze the primary data. Yeah. But you're saying so that but they don't have the capacity for any study or just your study? No, or what? they don't
0: have the capacity for any study, mm-hmm. because if they do not have the capacity to analyze our results, of course, they don't, do not analyze other studies as well. So they just believe in the results presented to them. And I think that uh, a journal like New England Journal of Medicine, my previous impression is that they obligatorily analyzed the data from a statistical perspective to check whether that was true or not. So how come they, they do not analyze what they publish? And this, com- this comes along with this, the surgeon fear fraud that was published right. in both the Lancet and New England jo- Journal of Medicine in very close dates, which is also strange. And how was the review process? Uh, how did they accept the paper? The, the, the and maybe remind us quickly about Surgisphere. Coincidentally, after the vaccines have been launched, their research, they were everything very programmed. After the acceptance of the speed up of the process, into the approval. Uh, Surgisphere was a group uh, that published uh, negative data on hydroxychloroquine in one, and negative data on other drug classes in another one, uh, clearly aiming to suppress any early treatment, because we need to understand that for the uh, emergency approval of the vaccines, there could not be any therapeutic option. So I'll give you other examples. Even if you go within Pfizer, Paxlovid, why did only they start these trials after the approval of their vaccines? Why they already had the the molecules. Why didn't they start a trial back in early 2020? I tell you more, there's another drug, enzalutamide, that they finished their study in November 2020 with a dubious result that could be good in terms of mortality rate for enzalutamide, or could be bad as per uh, hostilization uh, length of state. The study was completely flawed. Uh, its editor-in-chief where they published it uh, was never able to respond one single question from mine questions. Uh, and I'm very doubtful, I really wanted clarification. And they could've done both ways with the study. They could've used it to try to prove enzaluronamide or they could've killed it. So they started to kill it because Paxlovid was there. And they held it for more than one year these two, until they started to, to submit this paper, which means that they were
1: on hold. All, Basically until the emergency use uh, authorization the vaccines, of the vaccine. Yes, was and true. to check
0: whether they would be more benefited from Paxlovid or Enzalutamide.
1: Right. Fascinating.
0: So, yeah. So there, there, everything makes a lot of sense. I haven't found any other uh, plausible explanation for any, for any of these. So, so we had a very uh, orchestrated campaign, and those with some limited IQ uh, that uh, just repeated what media said, even researchers, even those with PhD. P- obtaining a PhD does not mean that you're smart or brilliant at all. And uh, those who were afraid to speak out or just wanted to have a signal of virtue, and they were repeating and were prohibited to think and prohibited to question. And it was a massive campaign. So they basically made a, a collective gaslighting on the treatments and on those who dare to speak out. If you have a minimal sense of perception, you don't need to be that smart, you are able to notice this. I mean unless you have some interest behind. So
1: Right. Well, yeah, and maybe I'll just ask you this because you know, one of the things I've noticed throughout the pandemic and even before, especially some issues where the media was very, very active in pushing a very specific view, right? Kind of repeating the same the same idea again and again. This happened with a few things in COVID and some other things before. I met people who believed the thing that the media was saying, but but that was the only area where they had a blind spot. It's almost like they were brainwashed a little bit or something, that it wasn't deliberate. That that was just my observation. I don't know if you no, if you I, saw uh, anything like so that.
0: We do see very, very colleagues which are extremely skilled in the field, basically on everything. They have great opinions and sense of critics. But when it comes to these vaccines and the treatments, they seem to be blocked. So I would say instead of brainwash, they were brain frozen.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah, they created a whole sociological movement. So if you're from the academic, uh, like if you're from a university, it's very hard for you to bring this idea where uh, different ideas and different voices were supposed to speak. And to bring their hypothesis. Science is not a person, science is not a religion. So science is the is the collective of ideas and findings. So science has been used, as I said before, as a slogan, uh, mm. more than and more like a politics, far from the original scientific uh, meaning. So I am a scientist, and only because my opinions Different from those posted by the mainstream media, it doesn't mean that I'm not lo- no longer a scientist, a science denier, a no scientist with no skills in science, telling me what science is or not. This is basically uh, uh, science planning, I would say. Like, and this is a complete
1: gaslight. Sci- science planning. Science planning. Yes, they trying,
0: they're trying to <laughs> explain to a scientist what a science is. Yeah. So. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. That's so, funny. I just invented it. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it is a it is a collective gaslighting process. So, uh, it's not easy for you to see your voice uh, unheard. And you're being persecuted all the time. And the f- true freedom has gone. I can tell you by my own experience, they were never concerned about life. So, for example, with acceptance of the medical boards, uh, all the authorities or all the organs uh, in Brazil, they never wondered whether we saved lives or not. They just wanted to charge me as guilty. They had those desired conclusions. They discarded absolutely everything that could favor me. And they just included and made a true malabarism in their arguments in order to make a story. this comes so hard that uh, f- uh, the, po- the federal police invaded my house and my clinic in last August, trying to find something. This was a very likely mechanism of phishing, we say. Mm-hmm. They invented the story. They truly invented the story saying there was a worldwide drug dealer, something mm-hmm. like that, very likely. So they were trying to find uh, tablets of dr- uh, drug dealer for treatments for COVID-19. So, they invaded my house in order to find those tablets of door or whatever they felt like, and they took my computer, they took my mobile, and they still haven't given me back. I got new ones. <laughs> this is completely abusive, right? So, they went really hard on me on this. I mean, I'm not making myself as a victim at all, and I do not regret anything I have been done for these patients, all the lives we saved. so answering to them. We did save a lot of lives. They know we saved lives. It is clear. It's pure mathematics. And they could have said, OK, they may have saved lives, but they didn't follow these or that rule. They were not able to tell us which rule we did not follow because we followed all the rules strictly. So they were not concerned about lives at all. I mean, they didn't care. Uh, we read there was in the, they're trying to attack me. The rules matter more than lives. So I needed to read that, like, ten times to believe that that was actually written. That they wrote that? Yes. Even if the objective is to save lives, rules are more important than lives. I couldn't believe that in this sequence of persecutions, it involved several different agencies. And they were all connected between each other. I just cannot say that it's a mafia because it is their uh, official right so but they were very connected they were illegally using authority that could never give their opinions they gave uh, unprecedented uh, decisions i'll give an example they suspended my research on, based on september 3rd 2021 based on a leaked meeting on september 20 september 1st And in Brazil, every meeting in the public service needs to be documented. This one was not documented. But then we discovered that they communicated the decision on August 27. So they were not able to explain how come a decision came from a meeting and the decision came before the meeting. And they Yeah, that sounds suspicious. (laughs) A little bit suspicious, right? But because they think they're protected by the the mainstream media, they think they can do anything. But I can tell you, uh, the, the check comes to everyone.
1: Well, and so here's the question. Why do you think the medical boards were different? And this was in multiple states now, right? That yeah, vindicated yeah, two different you, states so. in the
0: end, they focused on two different states. They were just neutral. They went through a very thorough analysis of the data, of what we did. They, read, they, they gave us the true right to defend ourselves, unlike the other places. Okay, um, And we showed that everything that was being said about the study was an absurd absurd. And a person that was, had no capacity and no ability and was not their competence to evaluate our study, spread the words illegally, he could not have spread the word outside. it was confidential. And it made up with a paid news article in the British Medical Journal. They were paid to write an article against me.
1: Using this leaked information. Exactly, exactly. And they could have
0: used it. We told them that, they ignored it completely. So it's very weird how they acted. So British Medical Journal acted quite unethically. They did not pay attention to what was obvious. So uh, now we're going to send them the documents showing that the, those who were the real ones who were able, because the medical boards are those who, who are in charge to evaluate the medical ethics behind the research. And they were, they just provide, gave me the chance to defend myself. And they were, as I said, neutral, impartial. All we needed is someone to hear me and to understand what happened, because there was no such uh, material or arguments real arguments that could be sustained to the very first defense of mine so these other uh, authorities they kept changing their narrative with the arguments i brought so they kept changing all the time something different something new something they invented for out of from nowhere and they were when we asked them to specify they were not able to and they wanted me to send the patient data they wanted me to send the result the names of patients and all the identifications throughout the internet which could have been stolen and published and leaked. To those who are investigators, they know the importance of maintaining the confidentiality of these patients. I offered to go and show them. They did not accept, they do not understand the importance. And they act very unethically by telling that the study was irregular, calling very uh, dirty names, all these participants, making, uh, belittling the participants, and undermining the research publicly, because they were not respecting the participants of the research. Because they were not aware, they wanted,
1: all they wanted is to make a whole theater out of it. So how many lives do you think that were saved in this trial? at least uh, 200 lives. I mean,
0: I'm not telling that everyone that survived uh, was a life that we saved, because there would be lives that would've been saved. Right, that would've survived. survived. Yes, so the difference was 150 at least Mm -hmm. uh, 200, yes. I mean, considering the other trials on my result, patient, yes, 200 approximately at least, and in normal times, when he presents such results, instead of trying to persecute me or attack me, they should have gone forward and wanted it as soon as possible to make it approved or whatever, regardless whether it was proxelotamide or picolotamide or any other from the drug class because there was a drug class effect. And try to have them given to as many people as possible. And they could never say that it was not safe because this was not the first study. So we already we had already uh, documented its safety profile in previous studies and also in studies for other diseases hmm. with more fragile participants, such as cancer, prostate cancer. So they couldn't claim that there was, it, the, the safety profile was not established. And I did my, my part. I went, We we went to talk to the president of the equivalent of the FDA there uh, one week after we presented the results. So every single authority that thought to themselves themselves that they they were able to evaluate my research, they were also obliged ethically to recommend the treatment to the largest number of people that needed. So they wouldn't. In this case, they were like just wanting to blame, to blame, to blame. And they didn't want to save the other lives. If they wanted, they would have done this because they had the results in their hands. Will they ever regret the fact that they could have saved many lives? In Brazil, we could have saved 150,000 lives between April and July 2020 and not say afterwards. If these authorities had gone, worked together to make the drug approved as soon as possible to be provided to all the patients that would need it. Because the drug would be offered for very cheap cost and literally hundreds of thousands of tablets would, be, would have been donated to Brazil as per our agreement with the manufacturer. Well-
1: and just in general, you know, this sounds like a very you know, promising drug. You've, you've used it in other cases, the safety profile is well-established, it has this mechanism of action, you've shown now, or at least the boards agree, that the research is solid. So what else can be this drug be used for? I mean, it sounds... It sounds- no, I mean, the disease, uh, we, need, we cannot forget, uh,
0: SARS-CoV-2, uh, every time it changes, it changes the mechanism of action and how it affects the cells and even which cells they affect the most. So I don't think that it would be that effective for the Omicron variants. For the most, for the latest ones, maybe XBB1, et cetera, but not as much. And we are not having the mortality we were before. So it had that time that it would be. might just happened to be with us, but could have been other antiandrogens. We need to pay attention to them explain what anti-androgen okay means. so yeah. antiandrogens are molecules that block the androgen activity the activity from hormones with actions like testosterone so when you give them a short-term therapy we are actually uh, protecting these patients from the virus that attack so the virus has 2 they go in, uh, in large amounts to the testicles to the cells that produce testosterone, called Leydig cells, and the cells that are responsible to the production of the, sper- the, the sperm, which are called Sertoli cells. So it blocks the enter of this virus in these cells, uh, not allowing it to spread and to reduce testosterone. We have uh, consistent evidence showing that, uh, that COVID infection and also the, vi- the vaccine they reduce testosterone production, and they reduce sperm counter quality. So it blocks. We have an unpublished data of patients that I followed up, uh, that patients that took the antiandrogen, the one year later, they had higher testosterone levels and better sperm uh, quality compared to those who did not take it. So a short-term uh, blockage of the testosterone action or androgen action prevented the virus to attack the cells that are responsible for the testosterone production and sperm uh, production. So, this blockage, the short-term blockage, uh, prevented uh, further damage. So, they recovered faster, Mm. and their production came to normality right after. So, this short-term, we say castration because the antiandrogens, castrate in terms of uh, blocking testosterone production or action and as well as fertility and It could also this is just a speculation protect women's over uh, egg reserve Okay, because we know that uh, COVID-19 and also the vaccines may reduce the egg reserve from women So by blocking the cells it could also protect these women, but this is theoretical
1: There's no evidence of this. Mm -hmm. Well, so something that just jumps to my mind, we were watching some of the presentations from React 19 earlier today, right? Yeah. And one of the things that was very stark was that most of the vaccine injury that they're documenting seems to be among women. It was like 80% compared to 20% in men. So it it strikes me, it almost seems like it is going uh, in the opposite direction of your findings in terms of the role of testosterone. I don't know if, you've th- if you thought about that at all. No, but one thing is COVID
0: infection itself, it, this, is, this is a matter of fact that males are more affected than women, okay. are more severely affected. This is, there are literally hundreds of studies showing the exact same thing, and they are extremely consistent showing this. And there is strong molecular plausibility. I'll give you another example of this. This may explain why pre-pubertal children between one and 10 years old were very hardly affected before the Omicron variant. Mm. You very rarely saw a a child having COVID before January 2022. And babies uh, below one year old were more affected than children between one and 10 because part of the babies, they do have circulating hormones which what we call as mini-puberty.
1: So everything matches. So this is one thing. So basically you're saying with test- if a higher level of testosterone in general, more effect? Higher
0: level of androgen activity okay. because
1: not, even, not always
0: testosterone. Otherwise, young men would be the most affected, which is not true. Right. It's more uh, uh, the proportion between dehydrotestosterone and, testosterone and testosterone, and testosterone and estradiol okay 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 This matter more than testosterone alone to my opinion uh, what i've been observing that we did not stratify uh the prevalence of uh post-covid or long covid by age in women i think there is a strong uh compromising in the female hormone production especially those before the menopause so i think this is one of the main reasons but also maybe because the ovary or could be sanctuary. So, but we're still, on hy- we're still talking here about hypothesis. But one thing is post-COVID, or, or uh, another thing, for example, uh, would be like myocarditis. Myocarditis affected more men than women, especially young males. And I published a paper in August 2022, 20, uh, hypothesizing. And this is a very compelling hypothesis. Uh, that neuroadrenaline and adrenaline, together with testosterone, were the likely key triggers of myocarditis induced by vaccines. We have a paper, a nationwide paper from Israel, showing the no increase of myocarditis after COVID infection. And we need to consider that after the infection, we were more actively searching for marks like LDH or CKNB or troponins, which are markers specific or not specific to myocarditis, then after vaccine. And after the vaccine, only those with typical symptoms or more severe symptoms were those who searched for medical help. So we probably have the uh, small part of an iceberg, which the majority had either asymptomatic myocarditis or mild symptoms or non-specific symptoms such as fatigue or reduction in physical capacity and these are still myocarditis that may deserve attention in the long term so i see very few people saying that even when mild myocarditis may lead to chronic heart failure especially in the young so I uh, published a paper showing that adrenaline the peak it would be a, a noradrenaline and adrenaline storm leading to myocarditis and you do have papers showing that after the vaccine, the, the production of adrenaline uh, uh, goes two, twice as it was before the vaccination in athletes. And those who are physiologically present, so the population that have the highest uh, production of adrenaline or adrenaline at least to be released in the blood are young males, more than females, more than the elders and athletes produce more than no athletes this i demonstrated in my phd the research so i brought my phd from five years ago and athletes many times you see those sudden deaths and sudden deaths many times are caused by myocarditis and these athletes when they had the those sudden deaths many of the times they were in their peak of their performance when adrenaline adrenaline was it at its highest peak. So everything makes sense when you put it all together. And autopsies demonstrated that it could be catecholamine-induced myocarditis. Mm-hmm. So we just put a hypothesis all together and I published. This was peer-reviewed, published, and there were not important, uh, There were no such criticism over the paper, because it just hypothesized a phenomenon that I, I don't think that we could, if we start also suppressing the hypothesis regarding the phenomenon we observe, I don't know where we're going we're gonna to be in the true, obs- we are already partially in the in obscurantism times.
1: Well, yeah, so let's talk about the sudden, the sudden deaths, okay? Because it seems to be like there's yeah. more of the sudden deaths. Now, it could just be that the media are reporting more sudden deaths right i'm I'm just saying like you might be thinking this, and there's certainly certain phenomena which I know as a fact, the media will pick very isolated phenomena and make it look like this is a big thing and not report on very common phenomena, which are actually a big thing. That's just something that we know the these legacy media do, so that, I'm just put putting a point in that I want to get you to comment on it so. With, with, with these sudden deaths, right? Is this how big of a phenomenon is this really? It is very hard to say whether a rare phenomenon
0: increased when you do not have a systematic documentation. So I know it's still speculative, uh, but in the past, sometimes they try to suppress some of these reports, right? Because we wanted to, the world to come back to normal, right? So we didn't want to see any increase. So I think that the sudden deaths, even they happen, they could be related or not. There is strong plausibility. The autopsy confirmed the chronology uh, matched, the plausibility matched, the autopsy matched, and our findings altogether it matched. So these cases are likely related to vaccine. It doesn't mean. It does not contraindicate the vaccine itself because it was not put into uh, a risk-benefit balance. It's sudden deaths alone. But we, uh, when we put the myocarditis, uh, it's, uh, it's sort of shocking to me that we are not putting not only the myocarditis because they're trying to, to say that it's mild, but we are not putting into context that the myocarditis may lead to further
1: problems. Uh, which may be life okay. threatening. I think myocarditis deserve more attention. I think I understand what you're saying. You're saying this, you know, the sudden deaths deserve attention, some sort of systematic way of recording them, seeing if there's an increase in prevalence. But there's also this other issue. Exactly. Uh, that, that isn't being looked at at all, which actually might be a bigger issue, right? Especially in the near future. Yeah. We need to think on the long term, we
0: need to think longitudinally. And we are, now that we are coming back to normal, Uh, I make a lot of questions, and what I've told you here, it's not even 10% of what really happened. There are many other things that happened. I'm not still able to speak about everything to you, but uh, I just can tell you that I used to be a very down-to-earth person, a very anti-conspiracy person, but some of the things that I really believe that did not exist, they actually do. For example, big pharma, I'd rather say big pharma consciousness. So we need to be uh, big pharma conscious rather than anti-big pharma, you know? I think we need to have a, a higher level of discussion. There are some molecules that are developed that uh, come out to be good. Uh, and there are those molecules which are not. I mean, they keep pushing. We have many histories in our med- in the history of medicine. We have both examples. So. We need them for some uh, some uh, uh, improvements. Uh, some are false improvements, pushed, because they spend... You need to think, when you pay for a patent drug, you're not paying for the drug itself, you're paying for not only its research, but you're paying for the research of all the other molecules that did not... That didn't come work. Out to work. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, this is how I need to think, this is the system. and. Uh, the point is, when did the system go too far? And right. I think that in COVID, this clearly happened.
1: Well, my so my question that comes to my mind immediately is, what if they're just not having a lot of success in developing things that work anymore? So, and this this sort of thing is the outcome.
0: Coincidentally, uh, the drug companies that were more successful in developing molecules in the last 10 years uh, did not happen to participate in trials on covid Hmm. i mean this is my analysis i did not under did not make a thorough analysis statistical analysis but to me it's clear because when it comes to my mind all the good real good molecules that are out there none of them belong to the any of these pharma that try to push the vaccines and expensive uh, drugs for as treatments. Any final thoughts as we finish? I do not think that this message will truly touch those who needed it, but I think that uh, some may need to rethink their um, authoritarian actions, many words because they they made money over it, but many just participated in the system of uh, suppression uh, as idiots. And I usually, the type of personality of people that were authoritarians do not allow them to rethink. I know it. Hmm. They wouldn't have the wisdom to tell, "Okay, I was wrong, I would be and. But uh, if this message touched at least some of them, I would be more than happy to rethink. Are you really, do you really think that doctors that uh, were trying to save their patients with repurposed cheap drugs had true inter- interest? And they not, they really? do you really think that these, all these battles we underwent, legal battles, medical battles, media battles, and all the the suffering that we underwent uh, had real advantages for us other than saving lives, the answer is clear. So we think whether we were doing this for any bad or if we were the good guys there. Uh, Those with minimal uh, sense of um, moral will have the answer on their tongues.
1: Well, Flavio Cadigiani, exactly. it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. This is my pleasure. This is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you all for joining Dr. Flavio Cadigiani and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kelleck. Hey everyone, if you enjoyed that last episode, you should check out our new documentary, The Unseen Crisis Vaccine Stories You Were Never Told. You can find it at unseencrisis.com.